Hello there, and welcome to a Dungeons and Dragons role-playing podcast. My name is Stacy, and I'm the DM. So come with me and my good friend Mick. Join us in our weekly discussion about our campaign. Listen to our successes and failures while trying to flex our role-playing muscle. The funny bits, the dumb bits, and the all-round good time that comes with this great activity. The cast for our first shot at this campaign is Gundelfist Punk, a male dwarf artificer who in a previous incarnation was also known as the now late Krusty, a male halfling ranger, who was startled by a sound, who dove for cover, who landed on a pressure plate trap and got himself crushed by a rock. Then there's Domina, a female drow cleric, and Jenny, a female tabaxi monk, Ondorth, a male changeling rogue, and finally Mick, who plays Rectal Windbreaker III, a male Goliath Barbarian, and yes, I did just say that. It's his name. The campaign setting is the Southlands, from Cobalt Press. We're using the D&D 5e ruleset, and we game using the Fantasy Grounds Virtual Tabletop. So that's the cast, that's the campaign. Now, welcome to the show. In this episode, Mick and I are once again talking about the misadventures of the cast as they stumble about in the tomb of Kobal. At this point, the cast has vanquished the mummy that was at the heart of the tomb, with the unintended aid from the Tuscully. Was this mummy really Kobal, destined to rise again and become a new god-king? Or was it someone else? What object of power did that flying Tuscully take? The cast doesn't know. But now they need to focus and figure out how will they exit the tomb safely. Waiting outside of the tomb, in the encampment that surrounds and secures the ruins of Anuasir, is the Golden Falcon Antiquities Company, the GFA. The majority of our cast have a contract of exploration with the GFA. The exclusions are Kondal, who was sent by the GFA to repair a hole in the side of the pyramid, and Jenny, the female tabaxi who was sent into the pyramid by the Lady Alashra and the High Priestess Nefrini, two powerful and important NPCs in the metropolis of Per Bastet. What will happen when Kundal and Jenny accompany the rest of the cast as they exit the tomb? How will the GFA react? Kundal was contracted for repairs, and how in the hell did Jenny get into the tomb? At their heart, the GFA are archaeologists there to preserve the wonder that these ruins represent, the hidden history behind the ancient city of Anuasir and its pyramid of Kobal, to discover the secret behind why the ruins continue to slowly rise from the sands near the flows of the river Nuria. Or does the GFA have an ulterior reason to cordon off the ruins of this ancient small city? I mean, look over there at those lithe, skinny women that accompany the giant scorpions. There's something odd about them. So, stay tuned and listen while Mick and I explore what happened in our session as we discuss it from three different perspectives. I'm here again with Mick, and this time we're going to focus on attunement, fighting tactics, should I rush in? And the third one is, how dumb is my team? Are D&D players really smart? Can they negotiate? So, what happened? Last night, from the GM's perspective, you guys are finally have vanquished the the mummy in the pyramid, potentially the owner of the pyramid. 
the big bad evil guy. After vanquishing Rectal and Jenny, once again, had a big falling out and they both take off in, in a lot of anger. And as they're leaving, Rectal is heading towards the trap door that takes him up to the, the top level of the pyramid. And waiting there is a cat. And the cat has a pouch that he pushes. When he sees Rectal, he pushes the pouch, pouch at Rectal. And inside that pouch are a couple of sending stones. And so Rectal then, instead, you know, his rage slightly appeased, heads back to the other characters with these sending stones to say, look what I found. And the sending, one of the sending stones starts talking to them. And it's apparently is one of Jenny's friends, perhaps, or colleagues, someone she met who's look, looking for Jenny. And so you guys formulate a response and thinking that, okay, well, let's just chat, chat with this person. And you form a 25 word response back to her saying something like, we have what you're looking for. We need to get out of here. You know, please, please make sure that the, the, the GFA are uh, not going to give us any issues. And she responds back, who the hell are you guys? You're not Jenny. I don't know who you are. Why do you have this, the stones? What's going on? And I have no connection with the GFA. I can't influence them. And so now it became, okay, you guys are back to that problem. How do you get out of the pyramid with all the goodies that you have? And you've got to, to a problem where there's, do you provide it to Jenny's colleagues or the people she's working for? Uh, do you go through the front door and, and meet up the GFA, uh, who are the people who gave you the contract to search the pyramid? Or is there another means? In, in, and in this scenario, whichever way you went, you're going to come up against an overwhelming force, which is how we ended up with team tactics and, and how dumb is my team. Yeah, how do they how do they deal with situations where you know if you do the wrong thing you will be crushed? I, I got a, a kick out of the fact that when Jenny arrived at the pyramid, she was given um, a, a potion that allowed her to feather fall and a potion that allowed her to levitate. The idea being that this was her means to get into the pyramid because there was a, a some tomb raiders went through a hole, so she was going to go through that same hole, avoiding the GFA because. They're on a flying carpet that's way above. So that hopefully would be, you know, under the cloak of darkness. And then she would use the potion of levitate to get back up to escape. But what did Jenny do? Her means of it, only means of escape, she uses it in the battle. Uh, well, when you guys are fighting the the, the, the the mummy and all of a sudden the Tiscali comes, she, for some reason she thinks, I'm going to levitate up to a flying creature and be able to battle it in air. So it's just, I, I just remember... Oh my God! What is she thinking? That was her only means of escape, and it was to to obtain an item that had not been identified. Yeah, and you guys don't even know if this item is going to be of value. Is something that the team is looking for? You have no idea, and you have no idea why the Tuscali are there, what they're doing, why did they go after this? And so, I mean, I, I'm just sitting there thinking, when making this decision, what are, is is going on while making this decision. And it's the same thing like this in this last session on Dorth, you guys going up to the pyramid after you spoke with um, uh, through the, the speaking stones, 
you're thinking, okay, go up, let's gather the rest of our stuff that we couldn't carry. Let's get out of this pyramid. And if for some reason, Ondorth, who is a shape changer, he decides that he's going to take on the shape of Jenny. What was going on in his mind? I'm sitting there thinking for me as the GM and I'm thinking, okay, if you guys come out of the pyramid and I see a person that as the GFA, I did not authorize or send into the pyramid, I'm going to be like, who the heck is that? Why is she with you? Where'd she come from? I'm just like, what are, what are these people thinking of? They, they don't see that or they're not thinking of anything beyond the, that one the, second. The mind you, yeah. The one second ahead of where I'm currently sitting, what will I do next? Yeah. Um, and, and that, that's just, that was just bizarre given that you know that you've been sent in by the GFA. Why would you change your shape? Yeah. Well, this is the, the how dumb is, how dumb is the team? Cause I, I'm sitting there thinking, I spend all this time crafting this story and there's all of these, these different NPC characters who they all have their own motivations and I try to play their motivations and how they affect you guys. And then when, when decisions like that are made, I'm just like, okay, that's amusing. And so I let you guys play it up because at this moment there's no NPCs in the pyramid. It's really me just trying to make sure that you guys are not going, you know, into the realm of weird and, I'm sitting there, okay, cool, it's amusing, but what's the purpose here? And I, I'm sitting there waiting for something. Mm. But and he comes up with this great idea of, okay, if we're going to go out through and get meet the GFA and they're going to search us, well, I'm not going to let them find my gems. So he starts eating his gems. And I thought, okay, well, that's not a bad idea. But you don't have to change shape in order to achieve that goal. No, exactly. So you're just, what What are you thinking? What? What is going on? What's the purpose behind this? And Sure enough, you guys head out the pyramid, and 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 I, of course, react. I'm just like, Kundal, the the dwarf is coming out with you, and of course, as the NPC, you're like, Kundal, what are you doing? You were sent to fix the hole, and I find you twelve hours later with these people. What you know? And who the heck is this this cat person? She didn't go in there. So the NPCs are like that, and they are lined up in force. And you guys don't know overwhelming why. force. And you don't know. Are they being aggressive? You, you guys, I mean, you guys well, still don't know. Except that that if you if you consider the, the the how you were sent, the reason you were sent, the fact that they know that you went in there, yeah, then then it, it it's a reasonable assumption to say that we can walk out of here. I mean, a reasonable person would know we went in there to do a job. We've done the job. Whether we succeed or fail doesn't matter. We will be confronted by the people on the way out. We know they're going to take the things that they want. We also know that they will leave us the things that they've agreed to leave us. And we, we have no downside on this. There is no downside in walking out the front door. I, and that's what I thought too. I thought that was the same thing. I, and, but I, when I had that overwhelming force standing there and I had my purpose and I wasn't going to let you guys know, and I was just waiting. Are they going to do something like throw the first punch? Because that would just be dumb. I truly expected that someone amongst our crowd would go out there and have a crack at it. They, they would do something in just that's um, just you wouldn't do. Yep. Uh, unfortunately, they kept it all together. So that's a plus. And, and we ended up in a scenario where if you, if you play the part, and read the contract and use the information. And we, keep, we go back again to yeah. what we said before. You were given this information. You accumulated as it went as you went along. How hard can it be to just remember what's happened? Take some notes. 
yeah. read the arrangement that was made, and then everything works out fine. Well, and, and, and that's funny. And when you look at the way that that was played out, that was played out. We needed to win the confidence of the people that had stopped us at the gate. The easiest way to do that is to take off everything that you own and give it to them. And then as well, you guys find out at that moment when the leader of the, the GFA comes up and he's just like, did you find, and all of a sudden now, wait a minute, you wanted us to find something? You had no idea that they were looking for something in particular. And then this was all of a sudden new information. And how did you guys interpret that? And I mean, talking with you, I know how you've interpreted it, but it was very clear to me these guys were thinking these relics are completely related to the overall plot and therefore it was just funny. It was just really amusing. And, and to me, that was another missed opportunity. That was a missed opportunity to gather information from the GFA leader. We were in an opportunity where we've given, shown him everything, we put it all on the table, or some of us have. We haven't tried to deceive him. We've gained his trust. And then we, we can ask him questions. We didn't know about these, but we found this, we found this, we found this. We know where they've gone. We know what's happened to them. Yeah. And he, he can then tell us yeah. what they do. And so, and we can and then, as you guys are coming out, Rectal, who is the average intelligence barbarian, they're talking. And one of the things you guys mentioned is that you got attacked by the Tuscali, and the Tuscali took, took this hand. And as soon as you said that, the leader was like, the hand, describe this hand. What did this hand look like? And this was really your first insight into the fact that, oh my, wait, they're after something very, very specific. And then from that conversation, it came out, you guys learned that they're after a hand, a rod, and this scarab. scarab. And you guys are, from your guy, the player's point of view, you you know that you found a rod, you know that you found a scarab, and you knew that the Tuscali took the hand. So you're you're sitting there thinking, okay, well, we don't have the rod because once again, Jenny, who walked off in a huff, she had the rod, and she and the thing is, she it was an extraordinary thing because when the mummy came to life, he was holding this rod and he was waving this rod, and, and some things were happening. So Jenny, she rolled amazing dexterity checks and managed to pull strength and dexterity checks to pull the rod out of the mummy's hand, and she succeeded. And I was, you know. This is one of those things where, as a GM, you know, you give everybody the chance to do something. And, you know, sometimes you've got to say, well, this is going to be very, very difficult, which means you'd need to roll a 20. Hmm. She was rolling 20s. So I was just like, oh, she, she's got it. And I had no intention of having her being able to get that. But she got it. So she has the, she has the rod. So she doesn't know what the rod is doing, but... Her and, and Rectal spill off. She heads off. But her reaction, I've got the rod. I shall now go and attune to it in the middle of yeah. the battle. Yeah. So she takes off and, you know, she's going to, I'm going to attune to the rod. And so she attunes to the rod outside of everybody's thing because in her mind, she is going to save the world or something like this, be the hero. But she's still out there on her own. And mm. so she goes to the side of the pyramid and she's sitting there waving her hands, trying to catch the attention of her colleague. Who has already stated openly that I'm not going to save you? Yeah, because I mean, they, she, from Jenny's she, point of view, she knows. Yeah, well, it was close to the amount of time, but the, 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 she had 24 hours to, to in order to search that tomb uh, and find the item that everybody's looking for, 
which you still which don't know. wasn't the rod. Yeah. I mean, you guys know that you're looking for an idol. She doesn't know what it is she's looking for, only that there's a relationship to the eye. So she doesn't know what she's got. She heads out there again, and she knows that she was supposed to use this potion and blah, 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 and meet her companion high up in the sky. Um, but her companion's looking at all of the marshalling of the GFA, and she's just like, what is going on? This dwarf entered in, and then all of a sudden, Jenny's sitting there waving at the side of the pyramid, and, her, and she's just like, someone's talking to me on the stone. It's not Jenny. I don't know who they are. I've never met them. They say they've got the item. Jenny's sitting there attracting attention on the side of the pyramid. I'm out of here. And, and, and why would you Why would you put yourself on the side of a pyramid, high visibility position, and wave yes. your arms in the air? Yeah. <laughs> what, what person would What person would do that? I, I'm just sitting there thinking, what is she thinking of? Like, what does she think? I, to me, this is one of those things, again, where it's like the team, how dumb are they? They're sitting there not thinking ahead of what do I need to do? I got to get out of here. How am I going to get out of here and not attract attention? Because I know after Jenny's rejoined you, she knows about your guys' contracts. You told her that the GFA gave you a contract. They said any relics, they want the relics. You guys can have, you know, 50% of any treasure you find or any non-magical stuff, etc. She knows that. But she also knows that it says when you come out, they're going to look through everything. So she's like thinking, okay, I got to get out of here. I don't want them to find this. I mean, clearly that's what she wants. She thinks that clearly this, the rod that she has, she's attuned to it now. She knows what it does, is somehow important to her, her mission. She doesn't have a clue. And yeah. what what is she hoping to achieve? Rectal's, Rectal's position in this is interesting because Rectal's position was to simply not get executed at the end of it. And knowing the people that are... He's his members. One of them is a lunatic cat on the side of a mountain waving her arms. One of them's shape-shifted into a girl, and the other two are, are, are dubious at best. His position is simply to, I'm going out there, I'm going to take as much as I can carry, I'm going to dump it in front of them and hope that I get out the gate <laughs> before the rest of these people come out of the pyramid yeah. because at least I won't get killed. And then, So what ends up happening, you guys are in front of the GFA, you've managed to... Kundal does something funny. Rectal dumps everything up, basically strips down in front of the GFA, gives them everything, steps to the side. GFA look through it and they're like, yeah, okay. He steps in front of Kundal and Kundal goes and shoves the, 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 the scarab uh, into uh, uh, Rectal's underwear. And so it's hidden. And then Kundal goes and drops off his stuff and things like this. So you guys manage to hide the scarab that you have, not knowing what it does or what its purpose is. And we do have one piece of information at, at at this stage, I think before we did that, and that was that there were three artifacts that they wanted. Yeah. We knew where all three of them were. Yeah. Um, we know that the three artifacts have to be combined together to be effective. So the Tuscali have one, Jenny's got the other, and Cundall's got the one down his bum crack. Yeah. If, if, if Rectal gets out of the camp, he holds a piece of the puzzle. Yeah. The Tuscali are going to have to be battled to get their piece. And Jenny is going to lose. She's on the side of a mountain waving her arms. Yeah. There's no way she's going to be able to hide it. And they are going to search her from top to bottom. And they'll get it from her. Yeah. And so it's exactly what happens. She's sitting there. She gets noticed, of course. So then some giant scorpions come around from the north and south of the pyramid coming towards her. She notices them. She doesn't notice the, 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 the cultists that are coming in from behind her. And they manage to dart her and paralyze her. And so she's caught. And then what happens? 
you guys are now, I mean, the GFA haven't treated you poorly. They've treated you to the letter of their contract so far. And, and, and you guys are taking a, a nap. And all of a sudden, <laughs> in the middle of your nap, they come running in and are like, wake up, what's going on? Because now they've got Jenny there and they've got Ondorf who looks like Jenny. So mm. Jenny is not supposed to be in a pyramid. They don't know who she is. Now they've got two people who look like Jenny. And yeah. like, what is going on? And, 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 and is, again, it, we go fan. back to the, that how dumb is your team when they yeah. can, when, when they put themselves in situations like this is, is just phenomenal. And, and to not get executed uh, next Thursday will be a miracle. Well, and, and this is, you know, fighting style, should I rush in? Because at the end of the day, I yes. have to admit, with, with all of these things, I expected my expectation. I had no idea that you guys were going to encounter the GFA. I mean, I, I had the GFA ready for as an encounter in case something happened. But I, I, in terms of what I expected, I did expect that you guys would just rush in as normal. And I was just like, you guys are all, you're toast. This, there's no getting out of it this time. I, I, I must admit I cheated here. Because rather than play the role, and again, in all honesty, I must say that there have been incidences within this game where my position has been to make sure that the DM had an exit strategy. And and I guess part of the how dumb is my team is that good players will give, will help the DM when he needs it, as in the same way that a good DM will help the players. So when a player is going to be killed, the DM will spare him. Yeah. Uh, especially if it's through no fault of his own. Yeah. By the same token, good players will not go and commit suicide and give DMs nowhere to go. Well, and, the, and in this scenario that we are talking about now, we have four people sitting inside a pyramid. The slightest little incident will start killing them off because they are totally destroyed. They're down yeah. a, a couple of hit points each. Yeah. They're, not, they're not healthy, that's they're for not, sure. They're not healthy. The only way they have out is to go out the front door. I went out of character and told the others what to do. Yeah, and and when you look at uh, intelligence, wisdom, all of the all of the things that you know, charisma, all of those, they would they should be telling me what to do, and yeah. they were going to stay in the pyramid. Yeah, and, and that's they the funny thing to come out, and the, the GFA yeah. would have come into the pyramid. It was all, all the information. So right, all the information you guys had. It was roughly eight o'clock in the morning. You knew that. So that was pretty much the time limit that, that Jenny had to, for her exit. You knew that you were getting messages from Jenny's companion saying that they're marshalling, but you don't know why they're marshalling. Nobody thinks to say, okay, so they're marshalling. So what? What does that mean? Well, again, this is the this is where you know, I've gone out of character. And, and it was obvious to me, hmm. they're marshalling outside the pyramid. They're going to come into the pyramid. We cleaned the pyramid out of all the things that are dangerous. When they walk through the front door, our team will fight. That's what they do, yeah. Um, and they will die because there's no way the GFA is going to come into that pyramid without an overwhelming force. And and to me, like I know exactly why the GFA are doing. It. I, I know what their motivation is for this, and you know, you know, I know that they're not coming in as murder hobos. They have no. They have a very specific reason for being there. I'm very aware of what it is. I know what they're looking for, and I know what what needs to happen from their point of view. And I. To try my best to be able to, okay, when they encounter, I mean, they sent, pe- they sent the people in and now you guys are aware that they sent you in for a very specific reason. They wanted you to find three specific relics. So you at least know that. I know more about what's going on there. So at the end of the day, I know that if they went into the pyramid, why they were going in and what, what they were hoping to accomplish. You guys don't. 
but very clearly from from listening to what the the reactions are from the other guys were is that they all thought that if the GFA were going to enter in, it's because they're coming in to attack them. Why? There's a logic behind there, isn't it? Well, yeah, I, I always wait for for you guys to say, "Hey, why do you think they're doing that?" Or, or have like a conversation. I mean, the in character conversation. And there's nothing wrong. I, I, at times, I think perhaps it's because they they they're trying to play in character, and they they have a hard time uh, saying what's in character, out of character. Because at the end of the day, to me, going and asking why. That's not an out of character conversation. That's a total in character. You're like, you just heard through the sending stone that they're marshalling. Why wouldn't you say, I wonder why they're doing that? Do you think Jenny uh, knows? I, yeah. yeah. I mean, it, it, why oh, wouldn't oh. you say those things in character? Of course you would. And I guess my in character wouldn't even be to ask the question. My in character would be. Well, your average the, this, this one is so obvious. Yeah. The, the problem with uh, the difficulty I have, and this is this is a difficulty I have, is that if I am average intelligence, yeah, and the other people are much smarter than me, yeah, then the person of average intelligence can say things, but can't really push the point. Yeah, that's right. And the difficulty that you then have is that if I say something that's from a person of average intelligence, I would expect the conversation to flow. Yeah, you, and it you doesn't. Can, average intelligence, you can say, "Well, I wonder why they're doing that." And average intelligence, maybe you're not able to understand why. You maybe not be able to figure it out. But at the end of the day, the guys who have the high intelligences, you would expect that they would continue the conversation on to try to come up with some reasons. But they don't. You no. ask the question, "Why?" And, and they're just the, like, the, the conversation just drops. I yeah. mean, they, they don't even like. No, that's a good question. No, no. There's, there's no, there's no, there's no moment past. There's, there's, oh, yes. can we fight out of this one? Uh, well, yeah, can I pull out my battle axe? Yeah. No. <laughs> so it's 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 pretty it is funny. it is it is it is difficult. And so uh, you know, looking at, at attunement and and what happened in yesterday's session, there were two opportunities for attunement. So, um, Ondorf earlier had found the dagger, and that dagger turned out to be important in order to get you guys ahead in in solving some of the mysteries of the pyramid. Uh, he hadn't had a time to attune to it. And of course, Jenny, out of pure luck of the dice, managed to get the rod. And so she hadn't attuned to it. So, so, so when you guys... Mm. Well, uh, so the, the question then is, the rod just looks like a normal rod. doesn't look like a weapon. The dagger looks like a weapon. So, mm. so surely one of the first questions you ask when you have something that you're going to attune to is, who do you give it to? Mm. And and if the dagger looks like a weapon, do you give it to a fighter? Do you give it to a thief? Or or to me, I I, I always sit there thinking like, and I I try my best. Like I will mediate when I have to when things get that get heated. But I will not say something like, well, who's going to tune to it? I will not say, well, should we give it? Because as a as a DM, that's really your guys' problem to figure out. Yeah. But at as just as well. Intermission. Okay, so we were talking about attunement, and I was saying that yeah, as a DM, I I'm not going to tell you guys or even suggest what should happen with attunement. It's really okay. You found something to attune to. When do you do it, and who should do that? And those are good questions. When do you do it, and who should do it? Hmm. Attuning to something in the middle of a fight's probably not a good idea. No, and it's probably not going to work. Yeah, I mean, you do need 
to take a short rest in order to attune, uh, unless you can uh, have an identify spell or something like this. But uh, none of you guys have the spell, so you would have to take the short rest rest to focus on it. And the question is, okay, so I found a knife and uh, or a dagger and a rod. All right, so I mean, logically speaking, there's five people in this party. Who should be doing the attunement? And why is it important? Like, should one person always be doing it? And I personally think that when Jenny goes and does it, she's just taking advantage. I just, it just, it, it floors me because it's, uh, I, for my point, looking in, it's like, if she keeps doing this, she's going to make everybody upset. It's exactly what's happening. Everybody's getting upset. And there is an argument here, and correct me if I'm wrong, and I'll stand to be corrected on this one. It would seem to me that one of the things about attunement is that if you give attunement to the dumbest guy, and not to the smartest person. If it goes wrong, the smartest person can help you. So if you get a cursed item that you attune to, and we've had this, we've had where um, rectal along in a previous lifetime yep. attuned to a, a, a cursed sword, yep. um, that the smart person could have. But if you've got the smart person attuned to the, to the sword, then you've got a problem. Well, and you see, this is the thing too. What... When you're tuning, the important factor of the attunement is that when you're tuning, it's not just identifying. Identifying and attunement are, are I mean, there, there, there are some similarities but differences because after you attune to it, if you're the person that attuned to it, whatever those magical properties are that you discover about it, you now own those properties, meaning you can use that magic item, weapon successfully. So if someone is always, I'm going to tune, I'm going to tune, I mean, if I'm a player, I'd be. I'd be really upset because like, wait, 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 why do you get it to? No, 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 no. I guess I have to ask the question is that if, if, how do you get unattuned to it? And can, can someone else attune to it later yeah. on? So with, with the, the rules for attunement are if to break attunement, uh, someone else needs to take a short rest and attune to it. So if you're already attuned, let's say you're taking a long rest and someone steals it from you and they spend a short rest focusing on it, they will have broken the attunement with you and they will now be attuned to it. They can take that object away from you. It must, I think it's over a hundred feet from you. And in the period of, I think it's a day, the attunement will just break. Or you, if you've attuned to it, you can also take another short rest. Well, is it, what's the opposite? De- detuning? Yeah, well, I'm thinking of can you give it away? I guess the question is can uh, you give it away you, or does it have to be taken from you? You can give it away. Like you can give it away, but you'd still remain attuned. So, again, if you give it away and you get separated by 100 feet for longer than a period of day, it'll just break. If you give it away and you're always next to them, you'll still be attuned to it even though they hold it. And so they would never get a benefit of the, the magical properties of that object unless they themselves then take that short rest. So it really comes down to... If you freely give it to someone, uh, should you just, before you give it, detune? Or if someone else takes it, I mean, clearly. And, and so if we then look at this, so clearly attunement is um, not a really simple process. You could attune yourself to something that is, uh, would be far better suited to go to someone else. So the best that you can do when you find these items is to make an educated guess as to who's going to attune to it. Well, yeah, I mean... And hope that it come, works out well. well. And if it doesn't work out well, then you progress to... The, the how rod do we is get a it from perfect example because the rod is slightly larger than a magic wand. So why would a monk have a flimsy rod? Like, it's not, it's not something that you can go and whack someone over the head with because it'll break. Yeah. So 
why would a monk want to attune to something that it makes no sense? You know, clearly it's one of those things where you're like, you're looking, okay, this is a dagger and this is a rock. It's, if from a monk's point of view, a dagger can be used as a monk weapon. So yeah, a dagger would be a perfectly, oh, please let me attune to it. Mm-hmm. And that'd be some, hey, I'm a monk. I could use that dagger. It could be part of my martial status. So let me attune. And that could be a logical question and conversation yes. with the other party. As the rod, everybody be like, well, why are you attuning to a rod? Yeah. I mean, it makes no sense. You can't use it as a weapon. You are meant to be on the front lines or, or you know, moving in and out of the front lines using your monkish fighting. And, and this is the, and, and again, we go to how dumb is my team. This oh, is the, yes. this is the, the conversation that should have been had. Yeah. Um, the, clearly, if you find a rod and you have no idea what it is, you give it to the nearest available wizard. If you find a dagger, you give it to any one of the people, you know, assassins. I, if, if, if I had a, if I had an assassin in my group and I found a dagger, then my option would be to give it to them, uh, hoping that it is some kind of very powerful stealthy weapon so that they can sneak up on someone and kill them instantly. Yeah. And if you find a large, heavy, clubbing object, you get your biggest fighter and give it to them. And, and this is the thing. like When you are playing in character, though, it's like you're saying, I'm average intelligence. I can go in there and say, okay, I don't understand. Why do you get the dagger? I mean, shouldn't I get the dagger? I'm a rogue. And, you know, you go there and hopefully a conversation can come from it. But do you hound and hound and hound and hound? You know, does that start going out of character to hound? So the question becomes, you know, where does the conversation line stop in character, out of character when it comes down to these objects that you find and, and, you know, whether or not, you know, attuning to it gives you some advantage. So uh, and then, of course, the thing is sometimes during the adventure, taking a short rest and a long rest finding the right moments for those to happen sometimes are, are actually kind of difficult because there's stuff going on. You guys have time limits you're dealing with here too. Mm-hmm. So it's not so easy just to say, Oh, I'm going to take a long rest. And I, I, oh, I, I had such a, a, a laugh where Domina, you got all this information from the sending stones coming through that, that they're marshalling. And Domina's like, yeah, I think we should take a long rest. I need to recover my spell. I'm just sitting there thinking you're in a pyramid. Time has run out. And you are the most, you're the most intelligent one there. <laughs> you're sitting there saying, and you're let's walking. take a long rest because again, you're not seeing anything beyond the next moment at all. Clearly you're just saying that because you want to get your spell slots back. And it's like, and the safest place to be is outside the pyramid oh. encompassed by the GFA who you hope are going to be your buddies. Yeah. And, and to me, I'm just like, you know what? I, I was sitting there thinking if, if you guys do a long rest, I'm just going to magically start creating like a horde of skeletons <laughs> that come in and take you out while you sleep. Cause I was just like, that is just dumb. I mean, in the last time you guys took a long rest, I let it fly. Cause you guys were in the, you guys were in that, um, which room was it was the, one of the small rooms, one of the small rooms where I, I could imagine you guys shutting the door and stuff. And I, I didn't say setting up a watch. I probably should have who's taking the watch and then getting your watch order and stuff like that. And I probably should have rolled. But I was thinking, you know, big story, narrative-wise, you, clean, you cleaned out the pyramid. What would come in? Like, would something come in? And from, from my point of view, the GFA are controlling Tomb Raiders and stuff like that. They're very, they're on high alert now. They knew that, they knew, from their point of view, they know that you guys are the second set of adventures that they sent in. It's already been a day. You know, where are you guys at? Is something, from their point of view, they're probably thinking, Oh God, has a second set of adventurers died? Do I need to get now a third set? 
So they, they and, and again, and, and from the adventurer's point of view, to not recognise that the safest place is not to be there. If it's, yeah. the risk is not the GFA is going to come in and kill you. The risk is that something that you haven't found is going to rise up out of the sand, yeah. and 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 it could be given the number of hit points that we have left, it could be the most innocuous creature yeah. would kill us all. Well, or, or it could be that the GFA are like, wow, I mean, it's been 12 hours, let's send in the 13. Because the one thing you guys do know, there was a huge queue of people who wanted to go into, te- into the tomb. You guys were just the most qualified at that moment. Mm-hmm. And what happened when you did get in? You, you very quickly found out that the previous team, which you kind of got an inkling from, uh, that there was another team. You weren't sure because they never told you directly. But when you were buying, looking for some silvered weapons from the, the local vendor in the GFA academics, you found out that there was some knolls that had come through. So how long did it take before you guys bumped into knolls once you entered into the pyramid? Pretty mm-hmm. quick. And what was the first thing that happened? Fight. Yes. So, I mean, another set of adventures come in. I mean, that's a very, to me, a, a logical thing that ISDM could make happen but at that time narrative wise i was just like ah not enough time has passed for me to make that happen so i pretty much let it fly and you guys didn't have another watch but i I do know that i was thinking if they try to take another long rest in the pyramid this time there's going to be some consequences and and when we fight we don't seem to do it in any structured fashion whatsoever yeah. When we look at the... There's no tactics. There's no tactics whatsoever. There's no, there's, hey, you know, I, I'm really good at healing, so I'm going to stand back and do this. And and otherwise, my only offensive will be like this, or I'm the barbarian. You know, this is, I think I can do this. Can you... Is there anything you can do to, you know, buffer me? Or, you know, these questions, I've yet to actually hear or be involved on a team where those things happen. I, I remember it, as a player uh, in, a, in an adventure, I was just like, I mean, should we not come up with a plan? Yeah, our plan is we're going to go and, you know, open the gate for the white ape. And I was just like, well, that that's just, you know, one person goes and opens that. That's not really a plan or a strategy. <laughs> and, so, and and you use the, the, the natural environment to your advantage. When, when faced with an overwhelming force, the best thing you can do is get them squeezed into a corridor where they can't all attack at once. Yeah. You use cover and range to attack them. Yeah. So if you have people that can throw spears and shoot arrows, then don't get them into a melee attack. And I mean, you guys were in a pyramid. And although most, this is one of the things where where as me, as the DM, I kind of, I I think I was a little bit slack. The only person, Ondorf and Rectal were the only two people who required light in order to Mm -hmm. see. Everybody else had dark vision. But in the rules, it says that dark vision is kind of like, it's, it's not infrared but it's kind of like that uh, in the sense that if you introduce a light source dark vision doesn't work so well mm. so this is one of those things where I, I i probably should be saying you know the guys who have dark vision when rectal's around with his torch should be rolling at disadvantage and when and you know ondorf walks off outside the the the, the range of the light i mean you know i i haven't accounted for that very very well this is one of those things where but if i but because they uh, I would, my question would be, if they have dark vision, does that mean they get disadvantage when they're out in the light? Well, or, or is it that no, they're... No, when they're in... So when they're in... So the dark vision is really is that when you're in, in, in a... It's not... It's, it's one of those things. It's one of those funny things. As long as there is even the slightest bit of light emanating from something, you can see with dark vision and the world is gray. Uh, that's more or less mm-hmm. how they say that. Drows 
they have sunlight sensitivity, sun, sun, sunlight sensitivity because they spend all of their life. So their dark vision is dark vision is normally 60 feet. Drows get 120 feet because that's, they live in the underdark. So when they come out, they do have sunlight sensitivity where they would be rolling at disadvantage. But anybody who has dark vision, they would just adjust. And I probably would be like, say that, you know, if you came out and you had a battle instantly from dark to light, they would be at disadvantage because yes, they they do have to adjust. And if we look at the scenario within the pyramid, the door caught on fire. Yeah. Instantly. Yeah. So, so um, you've got a massive light source there. But the, 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 the main room where the, the main room outside was lit as well. Yeah. So when you did come into the, the main room where so the mummy was, there was wasn't that big magical big. light. So, yeah. I mean, that wasn't a big issue at that point. But the previous battles before the Scarab Swarm yes. with the Knolls, I didn't count very well. So, I mean, tactic-wise... I mean, there's stuff that the GM should be on top of. And, and I, I'm actually really hopeful that when Fantasy Grounds moves to the Unity engine, something I can just completely ignore because then the, the software itself will show just what you can see with whatever yes. your tri- tributes are. And then I don't have to focus on it because if Ondorf walks off outside of your range with the torch, then from his client uh, and his connection, he, he can't see anymore. And I guess this comes down to the... the- you know, how good is my team at, at working with a DM? Yes. It's not just playing your part, but it's also that you work with a DM. It's a big team. DM. We are a team. And, yes. and you have to make sure that, you know, you have a responsibility here, and that is to define the circle that you have a torch in, carry it with you when you move so the well, DM doesn't have to ask you the question. Or know are your you in the character dark? and know what your character can do. Yeah. And I just recently listened to an interview from the D&D Beyond. They, they interviewed Rudy Rutenberg, who is another GM, and he was something he said that really struck with me is that there's no person, player or GM at the table that's more important than the other. It is equal. If there's six people, then everybody sh- shares one sixth of the responsibility. The GM, he's there to facilitate the story. He knows the story. But the players also have equal parts in that story of, of you know, owning up and responsibility. So it, it can't really be about the GM doing everything. The players have to contribute. They have to think about these things, and if 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 they aren't, then it's the balance isn't there. And that's that's and I completely agree. I mean, the players do have a responsibility here. And when you when you look at the podcasts that you see on places like YouTube, it, it's almost that the the that the game becomes secondary to the entertainment. Yeah, it's it seems to me. I was talking to someone earlier today about this. Is that there actually are two contests going on here? There's the contest. On, on the board, and there's the contest between the players and the DM. It's almost as though it is the job of the players to throw the DM with acts of lunacy or comedic comments, that kind of thing. And if you can break your DM so that he's in fits of laughter that are totally uncontrollable, then you've won. But on top of that, you've had a good time. Yeah. And it's all about having a good time. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know. You know, um, you start, we're starting to get to the point of things like, for me, the, the, the narrative is the important thing. And I do not mind comedy and I do not mind if the players try to challenge me. Absolutely, go for it. But there's like a, a line of, you know, uh, going into the absolute ludicrous that just, it just breaks the narrative then. So, for example, when Ondorf took on the form of Jenny. Oh, no, I'm not well, referring to that. No, I'm referring to just... 
if you can if you can throw your DM with a one liner, that that that's good. It's that yeah, kind of I, I, it absolutely. Is, it is. Like you know, challenge DM. Clearly, GM should have a bunch of uh, things ready for for the session. And if you guys go left instead of right, and DM is not prepared for it, then yeah, okay. That's and 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 the kind of comments that you make when that happens. Yeah. Is, I mean, normally you will. I've noticed that you deliver a. I wasn't expecting that, and then there's this this pause, and it's 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 just the right amount. It's about four seconds of pause before you come up with uh, just a, a retort or another comment or something happens. And I like that. I think that's I think that's uh, being a good DM and that's being a good player. And the other thing happens that if you are playing and you're playing with a DM that doesn't have experience, then, then if you do drive your DM into the ground, you're not going to have a good game. No. There is a responsibility about being yeah. a player that says we're all playing together, we're all having fun together. Yeah. The DM will let you have fun, but yeah. if you get out of hand, yeah. everybody's going to lose. Yeah. And, I mean, I'm pretty open, you know, when, when you guys do go and, and, you know, start having a laugh. I mean, that's that's fine. But at the end of the day, my, I think my responsibility, I'm not a, a rules lawyer or someone who's like, we must be part of the, you know, this is the narrative. I'm, you know, let's have fun. Having fun is the most important thing. But there are, are parts where it's like, okay, I, I am creating this thing and it would be nice for me if, if, the, the suspension of belief was such that you invested in what I was, what the story I was creating. And, and to me, that means you remember who the NPCs are. You remember that they have motivations and that your decisions affect that. And I have to admit, like Kundal, it was really funny because Kundal came in, you know, he, his previous character died. He dived out of the way, triggered a trap, a huge stone fell on him and, and smushed him. So Kundal came in. And we tried to tie Kundal's entrance into the story where, okay, well, they were aware that there was a hole in the side of the pyramid. They sent this dwarf who was a, a, a tinkerer to fix it. And then he went into the tomb and he came out with you guys. And he started to, trying to play up that backstory. He's like, hey, but I, I, I should leave because, you know, I, I really got to go get back to fixing that thing. And I was just like, that's great because he's trying to use his backstory to, to you know, make a change. And I thought that was fantastic. And then as the, as the GM and, and playing these NPCs, I'm just like, well, how would they respond to, you know, okay, Kundal comes out with them and now he's saying, I want to get back to work. I mean, what would they be thinking? And so I'm just like, no, 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 no. You came out with them. You were gone for a long time. You went in. You weren't supposed to go in. You're staying right where you are. Yes. All of a sudden, you, you, you're no longer working for the GFA. The GFA are going to be asking you some serious questions later yeah. on about what you were doing. Yeah, back backstory, which I know is not on our list of things to talk about, is an interesting one. I've been writing a backstory for my next, my next character, and <laughs> and one of the things about my backstory, despite the fact that it's a, a, a twenty seven page novel, is that it is full of hot, hot of hooks for a DM to use. And, and, and I, if you if you do that before you start playing the game, and you come up with a a backstory that allows the DM to play with it, yeah you'll have a lot more fun. Well, it, it, I, I certainly think so too, because like it's a challenge. Like you have a story and if I want to make sure, like for me, it, my story is not me just dictating my story to you guys. And then you must go to A to B to C to D to E before the story can find its end. 
I want you guys to have the freedom to go where you are. And like, I, I remember I was prepared last night. I was prepared that, okay, perhaps they're going to have a uh, meet with the GFA. And my only thing that I prepared was like, okay, I have a map. So they exit the tomb and this is what they're going to see. That's all I knew. The only thing, other thing I knew is I didn't know the individual motivations of all of those people that you bumped into. I only knew the two leaders, what were their motivations. And so that's what I played with. And, and I had nothing else prepared because I had no idea if you guys were going to come up with some other way. Like, for example, if, if you guys decided, oh, we're going to dig in, into the, you know, try to find in the Tuscully tunnel. I don't know. Sure. Could it happen? Why not? <laughs> if you guys created enough of a narrative and then I'll be like, oh, okay. Theater of the mind time. Let's, uh, let's go with it. So, you know, I'm, I'm, I'll try and, and, and go with it at, up to the point where I'm just like, okay, I need time to prepare. Let's call it. And I'm going to go and think about you guys. You threw me for a loop. It was a great loop. I need time to prepare. We got to call this session. I, I'm, I'm happy to do that. But yeah, I mean, I, I can't think of let's go to A, let's go to B, let's go to C, and then you must go in those orders because that's that's the way that it is. I, I'm very much of, okay, here's a possible encounter, here's a possible encounter, here's a possible encounter. And as far as preparation for them, I know I, I try to make sure I have an idea of those NPCs' motivations. And then what happens? No idea. No idea. You guys can do whatever you want to do. But the very first session, I remember our very first session was – the first, one of the first things one of the guys said is like, you see the great pyramid in the background. They're like, let's go check that out. And I was just like, oh God, if they go that way, <laughs> what am I going to do? So that was the very first time I was just like, okay, that very first session clued me into the fact that, okay, have encounters ready. As far as you can do is know your world that you've put the characters in just from the point of view of, okay, there's a pyramid over there. Why is that pyramid over there? What about it? So if they did go over there, uh, maybe I don't have maps or, or anything like that, but at least I have something so that if they go over there, it's not, you know, and again, you, not you, achievable. You, you can stall. You can just make it take a long time to get there and their problem's going to be getting down the road and through the yeah. through the forest and all the rest of it. My, but, my favorite, how dumb is my team? Yeah. They are. Uh, there's just so many things. about Like last last night was just... It was really, really funny for me watching what you guys were doing because I, I was like, okay, the mo your guys' plot lines are very, very clear. Jenny received a contract, and I have to admit, I, I was really surprised, you know, when she, you know, when she said, I want a contract with, with the high priestess Nefrini. And I was like, okay, that's, that's a reasonable thing. So she's got a contract. Now, I, I get a kick out of it because to me, I, I, if in her place, I would have negotiated that contract to make sure that the terms were in my favor. She thinks <laughs> it's in her favor. She doesn't really know. So she's got this contract where she's supposed to go and, and look for a second part related to the eye. That's what, so that's what she's in there for. She was dropped off. She knows how her exit strategy is. You guys came in because Princess Karima thought that perhaps this pyramid that appeared might be related go in there and see if you can find an idol. So you went in there looking for this on that was your motivation. So you've got the high priestess over here and princess Karima over here, both. And Ondorf is another one as well. Yeah. And then Ondorf was introduced to you guys as a new character, as a new thief through princess Karima. She brought him on site and says, look, you, I know you guys don't have someone with his skill set. Here you go. He should probably accompany. So you guys went in, uh, you couldn't go directly into the, the pyramid because the GFA were blockading it. You didn't have, 
an entrance strategy like the, the high priestess Nefrini did to get Jenny in. So she arrived like hours before you guys at the break of dawn. You guys arrived like at midday and went through all this rigmarole to get in. And so you've got two strategies now. You've got two, two different reasons for being in the but pyramid. But in the concept of, and when I'm talking about how dumb is my team in terms of, not in terms of, just in terms of the players. Yeah. You know, as a player, the conversation was never even held between the, the three people that had contracts. The three groups have contracts. And, and then, there was no conversation that says, I have a contract that says this, where the others got to say, hang on, I've got a contract and they're in complete conflict. There was there was a one that, brief conversation that there was ulterior motives for three people and I was just like, well, that conversation went nowhere. Yeah, I know. <laughs> there was no answer. It survived about a minute, and that was the end of that. And, it and, and like, it basically, it was I'm going to do what I'm going to do, and you screw the rest of you. And then what? And I'm just sitting there thinking, you guys haven't resolved anything. So, a, how are you going to get out? And then once you get out, and if you do have these relics, then what? Who gets them? Is it going to go Ooh. back to the high priestess? Are you going to try to keep them? Are you going to? I mean, you know that Nefrini is looking, and is she just going to let you guys escape? Princess Karima, I mean, she seemed very genuine. She set you guys up. What's her motivations? Why does she want it? Is she going to let you guys escape? The GFA is there. They've, they're very carefully watching things. They're looking for something. You found out that they're looking for three relics. What are their motivations? Are they going to let you guys go? None of these things are None of these about. conversations are had. Yeah. And, and, and I, I talk about this in out-of-character moments. I mean, yes, you have these conversations in character, yeah. but out-of-character you you would have to think that you have to have these conversations you have to figure out can you work as a team and you have to negotiate not only with the other yep. npcs within the game you've got to negotiate within yourselves yes and it's no good sitting there and saying it's going to be my way or the highway because you will die well then, then all of a sudden if you say that what are the other players going to feel i mean and it's very clear what they feel because i mean tempers just blew out of proportion in the last two sessions because yeah. Those conversations are not being had. Or they're being had, but they're being had from a position where there is no room to move. Yeah. There is no, there's no concessions being made. Yeah, and, and, and the funny thing is, and this is what blows my mind, is that I keep thinking that with the last two sessions that, that from a player point of view, we're done. And yet the players are still really keen to play. And I'm just like, I don't get it. You know, the temperatures get so high. They have these arguments. They don't resolve the arguments. And I'm like, and they come back and do it next week. I mean, next week, it's the same thing. Hmm. Nothing is resolved. So, uh, yeah, how dumb is the team? It it is, yeah, how dumb is the team? And and, and they are incapable of, so, and and you've got, the issue here is you've got people that are are incapable of of having same conversations amongst themselves. And then you have, the characters that they're, that they're playing where if they're supposed to be smart, they're acting incredibly dumb. I, I have to wonder, like I, I, I'm sitting here thinking, we're talking about this and I'm sitting there wondering, is it related to the in character, out of character? And they, they know that there's this line of, okay, I'm trying to play in character. Would I, should I be saying these things in character? Is, is that what it is? Or they not think, cause to me, I'm just like, when you're playing in character, you're acting, it's not about you lying or anything like this asking questions in character is completely legitimate yeah and you don't ask the gm you, i mean you for me if you're going to ask the gm a question you're like you know this dagger what about this dagger i mean if i'm there and as an npc i will respond as an npc because 
why would I give you any clue uh, about the dagger? Because you you've got to figure it out. Hmm. Just like when you guys were f trying to figure out how to get into the tomb, I was waiting. I, I, I wasn't about... I gave you guys a few hints uh, here and there that were probably I shouldn't have. But uh, when it came down to those two statues of Anubis, I wasn't going to say, this is what someone, someone tried to do an insight check on this. And finally, someone did. And I was just like, finally, yes. Why wouldn't you do an insight check? That's what the whole insight skill investigation. Try to learn more. You don't have to freaking figure it out, you know, with your own out of character smarts. You so, so let me ask you, he, he, let me ask you this question. Mm -hmm. um, you're a DM and you are going to start a new game. Yep. You won't know until the players appear who are the smart out of character people and who are the smart in character people. Yep. So. Is there an obligation of a DM to turn around and say to someone who wants to play a smart, in-character person, you can't because you will be incapable of playing it. You're better no, off just to play I, a fighter. At the, at the end of the day, I mean, what it comes down to is I, I think that I have to start suggesting what, if a person is really not uh, uh, out of character, smart enough to do something, I have to say, well, perhaps you should do an investigation. Perhaps you should do, you know, because the thing is, is that, you as an out of character person don't actually have to solve the problem. You don't have to take the puzzle pieces and put them together. You can use your skills. Now for me as a GM, I love it if you can create a, a descriptive method, what you want to do that maybe it's related to your skill set, maybe not. And I'm, I'm absolutely for it. Oh yeah, that's uh, an acrobatics check. And you can do that with uh, advantage because you've described what you want to do now, you might not have solved the problem, but you've given a really good description that, that ties into who you are, and then you can go with that. So it, it, it doesn't, you don't have to be out of character smart or out of character. Uh, I'm, think, I'm thinking of this from a, a DM point of view, because yeah. to me, it, it appears that one of the reasons that this, this game fails is, is because the DM either has a is playing with a, a, a team of players who, who don't get what their attributes are mm. and doesn't help them to yeah. get across the line. Yeah. And the, the example I, that you used is exactly how, how I think a good DM should play it. The way that you play that was to, you know, cajole them into. Yeah, I, I think, you, I think you, that's a good thing. You've got to use your attributes to figure out the answer. I don't want to say but not use to insight, use this. I, I would much rather say, well, describe to me what you want to do, right? So, like, for example, if a wizard's yeah. going to say, well, I'm going to bounce, grab that rope and, and, and then push my feet off against the wall and do this. I'm going to be like, okay, this is you really you're... do that. I mean, you got no dexterity at all. I mean, is this yes. really something that you think as a wizard you would do? I mean, is there not like some kind of a spell or something? I, I would probably try to lead them into thinking in a different way. Yeah. Right. But I, I, I'm not, I mean, I might have the answers in order to how to solve the puzzle. Yes. So, but I can't tell you guys how to do it because then. So, is there an obligation then if you're a team, if you're in your team, is there is there a methodology that you would suggest where the fighter who is as thick as two short planks can suggest to the bloke that's supposed to be incredibly smart what he can do? Well, there, or, or do you just you turn know, around and just accept that that's how it works? The, there's the YouTube YouTube uh, thing about GM tips was first run by Matt, not Matt, Mercer. 
and then it's run by Satine Phoenix. And one of the things they talked about was, you know, we'll have new characters sit beside experienced characters and experienced character can guide them in some things. When we're online, we can't do that. It, it, there's no, you know, yeah. someone sitting beside. So it, it is really one of those things where I would love the other players to, to help guide the new players. And so that kind of is a part where, I mean, we are breaking narrative in terms of providing assistance to someone new to, to, you know, come, yeah. you know, think of, you know, things that they could do with the skills that they have. And there's, there's no option when you're playing online. Uh, it's the only way. Uh, I mean, you guys all have the option of being able to move in discord. You can move from the, the narrative channel to the private channel. And I mean, you could readily, two players could move into that channel, but again, doing that means we are breaking the story because then they are removed from it. So at the end of the day, if someone's new, it, it's, I would hope the other players would help. I would try to, from a narrative point of view, could you, could you do that? What, what skills do you have? Like, try to come up with an idea. And, and that would then lead me on to the suggestion that if you are, if you, Continue to play with the same four people. Ask the question, should I not try playing with someone else? Mm. It's not until you leave the team that you're in yeah. or play with a new DM or a new bunch of people that you actually find out what is what is possible, yeah. new tricks that you can play. Yeah. It's the same as watch the stuff that you see on, on YouTube, listen yeah. to the podcasts. Yeah, I mean, I, I love the, the GM Tips podcasts. Uh, I find those ones are, are useful. I try to watch some of the YouTube stuff or, or listen to other podcasts to find out because I know I don't have the answers. I'm, I'm still new to this stuff. And, you know, how, what are some good tips to, to try to help players to be more in character when they come into a puzzling situation to try to figure out how to use their skills to do it. But the one thing that I have noticed that I thought was fantastic was once you guys were given these challenges of solving puzzles, all of a sudden, the, the in-character interactions were so much better. They, they improved a lot because prior to that, I found uh, as, a, as a GM, I was talking a lot. And I, I think that if I'm talking a lot, then your investment is in the story can fall. Because if, if you don't have the opportunity to be creative and, and, and add your bit to the story... I think your investment starts to fall off. It, it just, it's like in, in, in a classroom when you, if the teacher is, is doing interactive teaching with the students, the students feel involved and invested in the learning. Uh, if it's just someone standing in front of you preaching, chances are you're going to fall asleep. And that's, that's, that's one thing I don't want is just to be me preaching to you guys yeah. going here, going here. So I, I want you guys to be, <clears throat> well, explain to me how you do that. And that, that's why, when it comes down to fighting and stuff like that, I know what some of the rules are and you go in, can, is this possible? Well, I mean, your character can do that. But if you come in and say, I'm going to do this, I'm going to run in and I'm going to slide under his legs and I'm going to slash up with my, my, um, if you said rapier, I'd be like, well, no, a rapier is not going to work. It's a rapier is a pokey thing, but you know, with, with my axe. scimitar, I'm going to do this as I slide under its carpet, it's carapace and slice open its carapace. And I'd be like, okay, I mean, well, your movements, yeah, all right, fine. That was really cool. Do it. And <laughs> yep. all of a sudden, you know, maybe your damage-wise, you only did half damage, but it was such a cool move. Yeah, you killed it. I I'm happy to do that because you've invested yourself in the story. You've came up with a really cool move, and it's it's within the means of what you should be able to do. So, yeah, fine. Let's go with it. 
Yeah. I mean, that, that's, that's absolutely fine. 